0: Turn in our books of praise to Lord's Day 19. Lord's Day 19. Two Sundays ago, we would have heard about the ascension of Christ, and now we study what is commonly called the session of Christ, the sitting down of Christ at the right hand of God, um, and what that entails from that time till the end of this world. How does the glory of, or sorry, why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, as members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all our enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Beloved in the Lord, Christ is bodily present next to the Father. I begin with, I want to begin today with the question, do you believe that? In your heart of hearts, do you believe that Christ is there for our sake? We confess it every Sunday. Every Sunday we sing the words of the Apostles' Creed. God raised him from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. What does that matter for the church? That the head of this body has been manifested at the right hand of God and that you share in the fullness of who Jesus is so that you you share in his office of prophet, priest, and king so that you are justified, sanctified, glorified, and full of the spirit of power. Do you really believe that? We have direct access to our Lord and God who loved us so much that he died in the flesh for our sake. Will he who died for his church leave his church to perish? When people believe something to the core of their being, it it affects the way that they live. You can tell the degree to which people hold to a truth by the way they act, by what they prioritize. Do we have the courage and the confidence in the administration of reconciliation between God and man? That having a king, bearing our flesh, seated at the right hand of God. Do we have that courage and confidence that that knowledge would give? This doesn't just affect us spiritually, rather, it is because it affects us spiritually that it affects every other area of our lives. As you hear these words today, ask yourself what does it matter? How does this affect my witness, my love? How do I orient my life so that I really do look for the things that are above? What is most important? How do I give to this Christ my whole being so that I follow his commands with all my heart? As I drove here this afternoon, I was thinking about how we talk sometimes about how we may have persecution in the future sometimes wonder are we even worth persecuting but christ is ascended christ we look to For his joy. Here is the life of joy that belongs to the Christian. That I can come to Christ. That I can see Christ in my brother. That I can witness to him to the world. So that the glory of Christ can fill the world from sea to sea. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme. Christ sits at the right hand of God. First, we will see the manifestation of Christ. Second, the gifts of Christ. And third, the hope of Christ. We'll be spending a lot of time as we go through this. As we go through the catechism, we're going to be referencing a lot from especially Revelation 1. So, Revelation. Revelation begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand what the book of Revelation is revealing. The opening words of Revelation are the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants. This revelation certainly includes revelations from from Jesus Christ about past, present, and future. But certainly the greatest content of this revelation is Jesus Christ himself. And in the book of Revelation, he's revealed in two stages. First as the person of Jesus Christ, the person we see standing in Revelation 1, in Revelation 4. And then in his body, the Holy Church or the Bride of Christ. Throughout Revelation, we have a number of manifestations of Christ. Christ is shown to John in all his power and glory in chapter 1. We have the picture of Christ as the lamb lion in Revelation 4 and 5, where Christ takes his seat and opens the scroll. We have the Christ in Revelation 19, after the revelation of the bride, on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, ready to conquer the nation's. And we also have Christ revealed in the bride, the heavenly city that we look forward to, and that is coming down to earth. That is what it means when we add to the truth that Christ is ascended into heaven. He also sits down at the right hand of God. And there he has manifested himself shown himself as the head of the church. We can think of Colossians 1, 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This manifestation is not merely a spiritual act, but the seeding of Christ has real effects on the course of the history of the world. In sitting down on the throne, he fulfills the promises prophetically expressed by his mother. If you know the Song of Mary from Luke 1. He has, shown the strength with he has shown the strength of His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. You see, those first 40 years of the church from the ascension of Christ to the fall of Jerusalem, was this coming of judgment of Christ upon Jerusalem. And revelation, as it were, is the final warning. Christ destroys the rich, prideful establishment of Judea, who crush the poor and the widow. But even worse, they persecute the saints. He also destroys the Roman Empire in some ways, bringing down the Julian dynasty and paving the way for the Flavian dynasty. In Revelation, the judgments that Jesus has announced are said to be coming soon. The establishment of the old world will collapse and be replaced by the rule of Christ and his saints. And particularly of note is the destruction of the abomination, which brings desolation. The abomination is the golden temple of Herod, a place which Jesus declared a den of thieves. Construction finally finished in 64 AD and destroyed six years later. Why is this an abomination that brings desolation? Because when Christ enters heaven, this temple becomes the center of another gospel, a false gospel. It is all the worse because that temple was intended to point to Christ. What was formerly holy becomes an abomination because those who use it do not recognize the one who came to fulfill all things. So that judgment that's coming is part of the manifestation of Christ. Revelation 1 verse 7, as it were, gives the theme of all of Revelation. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him. As Jesus comes on the clouds of glory, he is unveiled before the world so that the world wails or mourns when they see him. The clouds are the reference to the coming of a judgment. We heard this morning about how they reference the final judgment, but clouds in Scripture reference many different judgments. In many Old Testament passages, we see God coming upon the clouds as a symbol of judgment. God the Son manifests His power in some disaster He is bringing. It's likely here that John is thinking more specifically of Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, we see one like the Son of Man ascending on the clouds of heaven. And in Daniel 7, that Son of Man is a corporate son of man. It's made up of a number of people. These are the saints coming before Jesus, the ancient of days, to be vindicated for their faithfulness while on earth. Through the judgment he is bringing on Jerusalem. Here the, here the son of man comes on the clouds. He is coming on the clouds. The Son of Man will be revealed in the ascension of the saints into heaven, in Daniel. Here, though, more specifically, the Son of Man is revealed in the church that is growing on earth. The church, through her being lifted up like her Lord, reflected uh, uh, like her Lord, who also was hung up on a cross, the church bears her cross before the world and so reveals the Son of Man. In Revelation, he, he, the church, he in the church will be revealed in the end of the beast and the harlot when the bride is vindicated probably mixing up some of these things as i'm i'm going along let let me uh, let me come to that again so Christ er, christ is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and particularly in revelation christ comes on the clouds in judgment and in that judgment the world sees christ in the church the world sees Christ in the church. Revelation and then adds a quote from Zechariah. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. The Jews saw Christ on the cross as through the Roman soldiers they lifted him up. Right? That's the first fulfillment of that promise. Christ is lifted up on the cross The Jews see him, but they don't mourn, not yet. There are some who mourn, the women who are around the cross, some of the disciples. More disciples mourned when Christ rose from the dead, and more mourned when the Spirit fell and Peter declared to the crowd that they had crucified the Son of God. And more will mourn when the bride of Christ is revealed and sustained through her sufferings. When she is lifted up in mockery like her Lord. That's what we see in Revelation. The saints, martyrs, bearing Christ before the world. And the world sees in the saints the one whom they pierced. Mourning is a better translation than wailing here because the mourning suggests sorrow for sin. More and more will see Jesus and repent of their sins and turn to him. This is what animates Paul when he says to the Athenians, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he calls all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Christ is manifested as head of the church at the right hand of God. Christ is manifested as king in the church that he shapes and molds, and through whom he reveals himself in the Spirit. We know from Scripture that he has been exalted over all principalities and powers, and he rules over principalities and powers for the sake of his church, as the head of his church. And so the church heralds of Christ the King. The church heralds of Christ the King can announce with Christ that God commands all men everywhere to repent, to bow the knee before his throne, and to mourn over the one they have pierced through their sins. Christ manifested himself as head of the church in the first century. And he continues to manifest himself in the church today. That's the promise here in Revelation. You go through Revelation, and a lot of Revelation is about the martyrs of Jesus Christ who are dying for the sake of Jesus Christ, who are witnessing to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who himself is the first witness. And through that, the world sees Christ and mourns. According to Peter Lightheart, we could write an evangelism tract along these lines. Jesus, the Son of God, is the world's true King. He's king over you too. If you don't honor him as king, you're a rebel and he punishes rebels. You want to live now and forever, you'd better get on his good side. You'd better turn from your sins and be loyal to him. Maybe, maybe not, maybe that's not the best way to write an evangelism tract, but the words get to the heart of the matter of why we are here why we are the aroma of life to those who are being saved and the aroma of death to those who are perishing. That brings us to our second point, the gifts of Christ. Christ manifests himself as the head of the church by giving gifts. He has promised to be with us to the end of the ages, and he keeps that promise through his Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation is full of the work of the Spirit. In the greeting and revelation, we have a reference to the sevenfold spirit that is before God's throne. These are not seven spirits, but the sevenfold spirit who works through the word of God in patterns of seven. That's what we see in the scripture. Think of the creation days here. If you pay attention to the order of God's work, we will also see how he often works in sevens. This is the spirit of Christ. The spirit who empowered Christ in his ministry. The particular gift that is emphasized in Revelation is is the gift of witness. And as I've already said, Christ himself is the premier, premier witness to God and who he is. He is the one who accomplished the work of salvation and bears witness to it. We, his people, his church, bear the spirit so that we might witness to him as well. Throughout the book of Revelation, we can see the spirit empowering the church of Christ in her work of witness. The very end of Revelation points to the whole history of the church calling out to the world. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So that's the call of the church, to offer that living water. This sevenfold spirit is working in the church a new creation, which is formed in the likeness of Jesus. Again, we bear the face of Jesus to the world. If you look at Ephesians 4 and the way the gifts of the Spirit are expressed in that passage, the gifts to the church are people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These gifts are spiritual witnesses to the church and the world to empower the church in her collective work of witness. These look to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, in their work of shepherding. And, of course, the gifts include our own courage and peace and hope and love, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's easy to focus on all the exciting manifestations of the Spirit. Tongues, miracles, prophecy. But the central manifestation of the Spirit is the empowering for the ministry of Christ. The Spirit is empowering the church to disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We bear the face of Jesus before one another. This is why using images for worship is wrong, especially in a New Testament context. God has not promised to dwell in his glory in any image. Rather, through Christ through His Spirit, He has promised to dwell in His glory in His people, so that in seeing one another, in fellowshipping one with one another, we may be encouraged in the witness of Christ. And of course, we also bear the face of Jesus before the world through our words and deeds. We are called to reflect Jesus' mercy, love. And righteousness. This is unsettling for the world because it often doesn't match the world's understanding of mercy, love, and righteousness. This is where we get an understanding of witness that is not only one who bears truth, right? Usually a witness is one who bears truth, but a witness is also one who dies for the truth, a martyr. And, of course, the original Greek word for for witness, all witnesses, is martyr. And through Revelation, we can see how the word for witness became the word for the ones who gave the ultimate price for that witness. In dying for their witness, they were a witness again to the work that Christ had done. Think again of verse 7 of Revelation. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This means that when the world does attack the church for their perceived injustices, they are empowering the witness of Jesus Christ. We can think of the words of Zeresh to her husband, Haman, that we heard two weeks ago. If Mordecai before you have begun to fall is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, because he will sure, he, but will surely fall before him. You have to remember, when the world attacks the church, they are attacking Christ himself. Christ will vindicate his saints. That's what's going on here he defended the early church from the roman empire from heresy within he preserved and empowered the reformers in their fight against the errors of the roman church and he'll preserve the church today as she faces enemies like a radically secularizing state this is why we have the second gift of christ here the promise that is by his power He defends and preserves us against all our enemies. Just take a minute to ponder how Christ is pictured in our reading from Revelation 1. This is not the long-haired, effeminate Jesus of pop culture, but a picture that fills us with awe-filled wonder. His hair, white like whitest wool. His eyes, a flame of fire. And out of his mouth, a two-edged sword. This is a Lord whom we imagine has the power and the desire to protect his church from her fiercest enemies. This is a Lord who is both gentle, but also a Lord of judgment. And he protects his church. Look at the history of the church. The church has had some nasty enemies. The church has fallen into sin. Yet the Lord has preserved her from enemies both within and without. He loves his church as his own flesh. That love isn't without discipline. We see that in the letters that Christ writes to the seven churches. He warns the church about particular sins she may fall into on the way. But the letters are expressions of his desire that she might overcome. Each letter contains a promise of reward to those who are faithful or to those who repent and recommit themselves to Christ. That brings us to our third point, the hope of Christ. Christ does not leave his people without a reward. We already taste of the joys of eternal life. And we know that we will enjoy eternal life in the future as well we didn't have that promise the burden of bearing christ might be too hard we might even say as paul if the re- if we don't look forward to a future resurrection we are people most to be pitied yet the spirit empowers us and christ protects us pushing us toward that final judgment, which Christ has planned. A great white throne will be revealed, and all the living and the dead, the dead now resurrected, will be gathered before that throne, and God will give his final verdict. We don't know when that will be, but we know that that is what this is all working toward. The Catechism puts this in the context of sorrow and persecution the times of life where it's hardest to bear Christ, or it seems the hardest to bear Christ. In those times, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. We're called to lift up our heads Lift up our heads in our sorrow and persecution and look to Christ because he is the one who died for me. He is with me. It's at those times more than ever that we need to know that we share in the flesh of the king who has been exalted over all principalities and powers and he loves us as his own flesh. We look to him as the one who will cast all his enemies into everlasting condemnation. Those who have not repented, those who have attacked the church and sought to destroy her without repentance. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. That's our hope. We have a Lord who received judgment for our sake. And he remembers what he did out of love for us. He will take us home to glory. It is this work of Jesus that makes us able to bear the sorrow we have right now. It is this work of Jesus that gives us the courage of obedience in the face of pressure. I opened by asking if you really believe this work of Christ. It's because this is so often the aspect that the church forgets today. That Christ is really ruling. That he is empowering his church for his ministry. And when we do that, when we forget, we forget to look to the things that are above. We forget to look up. In the midst of sorrow. We become like Saruman. In Lord of the Rings. Who forgot his calling in Middle Earth. As his mind was filled. As Gandalf says. With wheels and metal. So I encourage you now. Look to the things that are above. Look to Christ. Who is at the right hand of God. Look to his spirit and seek that he may be revealed in you look to the things that are above and you will be sustained you will overcome through the power of the holy spirit all glory be to god the father god the son and god the holy spirit amen let's sing in response from psalm 149